This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. I'm Josh Williams and I'm joined for the first time in 2021 with David Hughes. Hey, how are you getting on, mate? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you, Josh. Not too bad. Probably better than me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and most people listening, I imagine. Yeah. Um, well, Liverpool have, have encountered a turbulent period, I think we're probably going to call it. Um, and for that reason, we're going to do a little bit of a different episode this week. We're going to avoid the usual path because, you know, we, we can this week really. There's something different to talk about. Um you know, this podcast has been going for about two seasons now. And this is this really, which, you know, testament to Liverpool's level, is probably the first period where Liverpool have, have sustained a, a couple of, well, more than a couple of, of bad results, really. Um, two points from West Brom, Newcastle United and Southampton. Which is really, and and it's not just been a case of luck either. I mean, in in the performances, Liverpool haven't really been that good. Um, it's been a bit of a flip of a coin when it comes to whether Liverpool have been playing a good half or whether Liverpool are going to come out and play a bad half. So, I think this this episode, whether it ends up shorter or not, is just going to be an episode on, I suppose, what's currently happening, um, speculating, talking about what we think maybe the problems are and stuff like that. Um, I mean, have you got any thoughts there? I'm not sure if you've attended any of these games, but f- for me, Liverpool have looked off it for you know roughly fifty percent of of the minutes that that they've played across these three games. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with all of that. To be honest, um, it's kind of it's felt at times as though they're still in third gear and they maybe got. You're waiting for that moment where they come alive. Um, it just hasn't seemed to happen. I mean, make no mistake about it. There's still been chances, and I think, you know, specifically maybe in the Newcastle game, on another day, you you could have you could have ended up winning that. Uh, I thought there was a few kind of goal line moments that if they go your way, you you end up nicking the victory. Obviously, it didn't happen. Thought Darlow played really well in goal for Newcastle as well. But in terms of not only results, but as you say, the performances, it just, Liverpool have been very off colour. It's probably best to summarise. Um, and it's it's something that we're not used to seeing. Uh, but as I'm sure we'll get into, I feel like the writing has been on the wall a little bit, you know, for for beyond these last last three weeks. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a strange time, really, for this kind of modern Liverpool side. Yeah, well, I think I did say in the last podcast that... You know, we need to kind of accept that this is going to be the norm this season when it comes to not just winning every week and when it comes to, um, you know, just having to deal with kind of results in the mould of, I suppose, what the old Premier League used to look like, whereby any team could pick up points from any other team and the champion would end up with maybe 80 to 85 points around that. Um I'll be honest though, when I said that, I, I didn't really, I expected Liverpool to be the best of the of the group and I didn't expect to come out of that with Liverpool failing to get a win 
out of the last two. I think when we last spoke, we, we previewed two games and, and kind of deemed West Brom as a little bit of a blip. But I don't know, the, the longer this sort of thing goes on, the more it becomes a bit of a talking point and a bit more than than just a blip. Um, that's, you know, that's three results now. And as I said, it's not just results, it's performances too. Now, when it comes to this, there's a, a, quite a variety of factors that, that people are looking towards as to why this might be the case. There's tons. Um, and, you know, I suppose we can address them. Um, so I think, I think first, probably the most popular one is the centre-back issue. This was obviously more prominent against Southampton because we played with two central midfielders in the centre of defence. Um, what are your thoughts on this, Dave? How, how important is it that Liverpool get a new centre-back or how important is it that Liverpool play with at least one natural centre-back in every game? Or, you know, what, what are your thoughts on this? Because I tweeted it today and I've been a little bit surprised at the the varying responses that I've got. Um not everyone's been in agreement, so it's quite a split down the middle one, this, I think. Mm, yeah, I haven't seen that, actually. I'll have a look after. Um, but, yeah, it's it's a strange one because, obviously, you know, in the early part of the season, when things like the Van Dijk injury happened, Gomez shortly after, that looked like the position in which Liverpool were going to be really vulnerable uh, over these next few months. But the reality is, I don't know if many people have noticed this, but... Um, it's, it's certainly in terms of league games, Liverpool haven't conceded more than a single goal since the Merseyside derby at the start of October, which is uh, which feels like quite a surprise, doesn't it, when you consider the the issues they have. I think, if I'm right in saying, yeah, in fact, I know because I read this this morning, um, on Monday night, that was the 14th uh, centre-back pair in Liverpool have had this season. So if you think of the kind of... Um, constant changes that have had to happen to that back line. You know, Alisson's been in and out a little bit as well. Um, if you think that, you'd have to go back to the derby for the for the last time. The two conceded more than a goal. I think that's, that's a good sign from a defensive point of view. And if you'd only concede one goal or less every game with the attack that Liverpool have, then the chances are you're going to win more games than, than you lose. Um, it's just with the attack starting to not deliver the results are starting to disappear a little bit. And then I think on that defensive point, that's maybe what leads on to in that what Liverpool might be missing more um, in that centre-back area is the offensive contribution of the likes of Van Dijk, you know, the, the kind of switched passes and the composure in possession. Um, I think they're, they're missing that a lot at the moment. And that is maybe out of both sides of the game with and without the ball, I think that's that's the biggest issue. Yeah, I mean, if you start with two two central midfielders in the centre of defence, you'd almost expect to, to benefit from that in a way. And I think when, obviously, when Liverpool went a goal down against Southampton, the onus was then on Liverpool to, to find a goal because Southampton would have accepted the match to just end on the spot. So Liverpool started to dominate possession as the match progressed, which, as I said, you, you'd expect to benefit Liverpool because you've got two central midfielders getting on the ball. Um, but it just, I don't know, Liverpool, particularly in possession of late. I mean, I know you mentioned Newcastle there. In the Newcastle game, fair enough, we did generate a few chances. I think Sal in particular had 
one or two that you'd expect them some weeks to score. Um, but I, f- I feel like there's been just a consistent trend, a little bit of a theme in each game. That, and, and I think the centre back thing. We've had a variety of different centre back parents and a variety of different midfield parents, and you know a few people have mentioned that if if a natural centre back had started against Southampton, Liverpool might have won the game and the performance would have been different. But I'm just not sold on that. I'm inclined to disagree, and the reason one of the reasons I'm inclined to disagree is I think West Brom and Newcastle performances were very very similar. In those games, you know, you had Henderson in central midfield, you had Wijnaldum in central midfield, you had you had Reese Jones, uh, Reese Jones, Reese Williams in centre of defence for short periods. Nat Phillips, I think, started one of the games. Um, so you've had a, a variety of different, um, you know, pairings there, or whatever you want to call it, trios, and the the outcome seems to be vaguely similar in each game. And I think that that's why I'm kind of looking at it and thinking to myself, like, this isn't just down to, to the presence of one player or the presence of one centre-back who's natural in that position. This this is kind of a wider issue that not only Liverpool are suffering from, but teams in the in the league are suffering from. And I think it's it's really difficult for me, at least, to to look at one thing and state that that is the source of the of the problem. Um, and that's what we need to overcome. And the answer is to maybe go to sign a new centre back, because mm. uh, you know I think if Liverpool had started with a new centre back last night, mm. I'm not sure and would have changed. Yeah, look, I think the the overall issue that that links to that is is the fact that the, the side is is so unsettled at the moment with you know central midfielders having to drop into these positions or even if you do have a, an actual centre back going into that position the, it, it's still just really unsettled and uh, what that seems to impact is you know team behaviours like things like uh, you know pressing traps possession play it's all disrupted by changing players like I wrote about Alexander Arnold this morning uh, and Beyond things that you could criticise him for, that we may or may not speak about at some point, I don't know. But you have to have a look at it. From his right-back position, he had Henderson to his left. You know, he had Oxlade-Chamberlain as the right side at eight. Then Shaqiri comes on there later. You know, that's a really unfamiliar kind of um, support bubble around him almost. And I think that's happening a lot with Liverpool, especially over these last, say, six or seven weeks. And... You know, we we talk about the the kind of attack, and I, I guess when you were talking about Newcastle, you were going to refer to although they had enough chances to probably win the game, they also didn't have a great attack and performance. And I agree. And I was looking into this earlier, and of the previous eleven games Liverpool have had, yet um, only two of them have accumulated next year of over two. And if you look at the twelve games before that eleven game sequence, seven had the next year of over two. So there is a clear, you know, drop not only in terms of goals, but in terms of in terms of creating quality chances. I know he had that kind of crazy game against Palace where he scored seven and on paper that might all look like it's rosy again. But to, in fairness to us, we did say that was just one of those games, wasn't it, where you would still only post the next year, maybe two point four or something, but everybody's just really clinical on the day and that's how you accumulate those goals. But as I said, over these last 11 weeks, 
you know, the the attacking quality is is, is dramatically drops. The, the attack is is something I I really want to talk about. To be honest, be, just before I do, on the defensive side of things, the you know the goal that Southampton scored, and the goal that West Brom scored. Um, again, I'm I'm reluctant to to look at that as a, a product of not having a natural centre half, or you know, a, or my, or reluctant to put it down as a massive not playing or whatever, because we we conceded goals like that early in the season. Uh, we conceded a cheap goal to West Ham at Anfield. I think we went a goal down. We ended up winning the game two one. We conceded a cheap goal to Sheffield United. We went a goal down. We ended up winning the game two one. Conceded a cheap goal to Burnley. That was that ended up being a draw. Uh, I think I think that might be the only game aside from West Brom that we've dropped points in at Anfield this season. Um, but I think crucially, what I've just mentioned there against West Ham and against Sheffield United, very similar thing happened to what happened yesterday against Southampton. But the difference was eventually the attack basically bailed us out. The attack bailed the team out. Um, and as a result, we never really ended up speaking about it much because Liverpool ended up winning the game and the underlying numbers were quite supportive because the way in which Liverpool attacked after conceding was enough to suggest that, you know, in, in any week, any given week, if you get those shots, Liverpool are probably going to win the game. Um, just while I'm here, I'll have a quick look at the XG in those games. Uh, so against Sheffield United, we posted an expected goals of 2.5 which is, you know, strong and should win you most games. And who's the other team that I mentioned? West Ham. We yeah. posted we posted one point eight. Um I feel like that was less convincing in that game. Um but I do remember the winning goal that was scored by Jota and he was fed by Shakiri and that was very much a clear cut chance that he couldn't really miss. Um but I, I I am inclined um to look more at, at what the attack is doing at the minute. So I'm I'm glad you mentioned what you did. Because I, I think above everything else in the past few weeks, what I've picked up on is, is the attack just not being at its usual level. Not just the front three, who I do think have been below par, but just the team as a whole, the, the possession game of Liverpool as a whole, has just been a little bit less less relentless, maybe, is the word. Um, I think back to last season when Liverpool were chasing a goal or if Liverpool needed to to get back level or to go in front, you know, the, the tempo was so fast. If you, if you think of Aston Villa away when Liverpool finally managed to win late 2-1, the, the pace was so fast, Liverpool were regaining the ball dead quickly. You now Aston Villa's defence was getting pulled from pillars of post. Now, which which could, um, you know, incorporate maybe a bit of a fitness aspect into things, considering the lack of precision and stuff, Liverpool just look a, li- a little bit slower. With, with the waves and the the wave after wave of attack that's coming. They're just a little bit slower, a little bit easier to manage, um, a little bit more predictable when it comes to crosses. Um, and that sort of thing, really. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think, what I will say is in the Southampton game, I, f- I thought we saw that for the first 15 minutes of the second half. Uh, it felt yeah. like it was really relentless. There was... There was plenty of bodies in the attack and third. It was one touch, two touch passing, you know, pulling players out of position. And Liverpool looked really dangerous then. But 
maybe it is that fatigue because they just couldn't seem to sustain it. Uh, and it felt like Southampton kind of rid that out and then and then kind of went fairly comfortable again. Um, and that, that has been a, a big issue, um, you know, kind of sustaining that pressure. And I think decision-making has been a little bit off. Um, I think game state is really important as well. We talked about conceding first. I think that affected a lot of things yesterday. Like, you know, a lot was made about Alexander Arnold being quite cheap with possession, apparently, anyway, giving the ball away X amount of times. But if you actually study the game and, and think about how the game works, he's obviously a high risk, high reward type player who plays a lot of kind of direct passes. And when the games, game uh, game state changed very early on, didn't it? It went from kind of probably Liverpool looking to set up and dominate and break down Southampton to score goals to to kind of having to immediately chase a chase an equaliser. And that saw them playing a lot less short balls and attempting a little bit more long and not desperate but more direct. And that's why the ball was getting given away a little bit more than usual. Um so there's just a lot of uncharacteristic things we're seeing with Liverpool in attack. And you know, things like decision making is maybe one of the problems. Yeah, I mean, when it when it comes to the front three, I think in the past few seasons, I think Liverpool have, have developed a bit of a tendency to to overperform when it comes to finishing shots to an above average level. Obviously, Liverpool benefit from set pieces in that regard as well. Set pieces are generally weighted quite low when it comes to expected goals. But I do think, in addition to that, generally, Liverpool do tend to overperform. Um, this season, I'm going to get the numbers up in a sec. I haven't actually got them at hand, but I, I think I'm right in saying that Liverpool are about level at the minute. Have you got any ideas of numbers off hand, Dave? Yeah, off, off the top of my head, I think they're in around maybe early 30s, but um, that's obviously with pen, penalties excluded. It looks like they're overperforming if you were to include penalties, but take them out. Which uh, which you should, <laughs> um, then you'll get a better idea. And um, yeah, so they're, they're about roughly on par, maybe even slightly underperforming. Yeah, it just feels like lately the the burden on Salah, Mane, and Firmino to kind of do something out the ordinary has been higher than normal, mm. and. Um, they they haven't really been at the level to to meet those expectations of late. Like I think, I think Salah is generally a player since he moves to Liverpool. He's a player with absolutely massive impact on winning. You know, Salah moves the needle towards winning more so than a lot of players. You know, there's plenty of players like that in the Premier League. Bruno Fernandes is one of them. Um, but I feel like Salah in the past few weeks has just had less of an impact in that regard. Um, obviously had the chances at Newcastle didn't put them away. I mean, Carl Darlow obviously had a good game. Um, against Southampton, really, really quiet. Didn't I'm not sure how many shots he got away. I'll have a check on that now. Mm. Um, Mane was in his own little individual duel with with Walker Peters, who he got got the better of once or twice, but again didn't really get in much of a position. I think he got one shot away, relatively close to goal, and he scuffed it. Um. And obviously you couple that in with looking back at West Ham when we managed to get a win and looking back at Sheffield United when we managed to get a win. I think I'm right in saying Jota scored the winner in both of those games. Um, so mm. it, it, it's it's nice just to have that player, isn't it, who, who's on that level to come off the bench 
and retain a certain level of quality, but be starting from scratch and able to offer a threat for the final, say, half an hour. Yeah, this has kind of gone, how we, how we called it, maybe last season, where, where I think that the play we were talking about initially was Werner. Um, we were saying, you know, this is why Werner's going to be such a good buy for Liverpool. And OK, that might not look silly now because it hasn't worked out at Chelsea, but trust me, that doesn't necessarily mean that it wouldn't work out at Liverpool. Um, and it still probably will work out at Chelsea, by the way. But um, we were saying, you know, you need that extra threat whether he's coming off the bench, whether he's filling in a different position or whether he's just adding a little bit more of a clinical edge to a team that definitely wasn't at the point of getting stale, but did need some sort of freshening up. Because um, I'm sure we dedicated one episode of Analyzing Anfield to talk about how Klopp continues to motivate this same group of players when they're not really recruiting any big names. Obviously, they went and brought in the likes of Jota, but... At one stage, there wasn't a lot of um, transfer activity, was there? Obviously, Jota had come in and kind of filled in that vein of void. And and he did win games for Liverpool coming off the bench. He's looked phenomenal. You think of Atalanta away, he looked really sharp there. I think he's looked really sharp altogether. His, his goal return is a lot more than we would have anticipated. And his, his omission probably in the context of this season alone is as big as if Liverpool would have missed Salah or Mane because of the form he was in and what he brought to the team. Um, and he's been a huge loss because he's probably a, a different element that could have come off the bench uh, or even started in some of these games and maybe won these games for Liverpool. And without him, you know, you'll never know because he hasn't played, but without him, you do wonder whether... Well, it's maybe been a little bit costly that he hasn't been available. Yeah, well, I have I actually have a bit of a theory on that when it comes to getting jotted in in the summer. I think Liverpool will have interpreted, you know, COVID as as a massive factor on on this season. You know, predicted it um, in terms of a game every three days, and obviously Liverpool have kind of managed over the course of the past few seasons with not necessarily two players for every position. And I think this summer, we, we really saw Liverpool, you know, they went and signed a backup left-back in Samikas. Um, they went and signed that backup forward. And they're, they're two positions, really, that fans have been calling for for a number of years. And by buying those two players, obviously Liverpool took a bit of a risk then looking at the centre of defence. You had Gomez, you had Matip, you had Van Dijk, who's never injured and you had Fabinho knowing that Fabinho can drop back in and then you had Thiago who could take Fabinho's place in the midfield so I think the, the way in which Liverpool interpreted the squad and, and dealt with that for this season I don't actually think was that bad Liverpool in their mind did in a way have four centre-backs for the start of the season it's just one of them that you couldn't really predict to this level that Van Dijk would suffer a season and an injury Gomez would suffer a season and an injury massive you know what Mazab is. Um, but it's just it's just really unfortunate. And I think getting Jotter in was to consider a potential drop in level from Salah and Mane given the, the the frequency of the games and the weird schedule and things like that and the lack of pre season. And it did really help in the early stages of this of the campaign, but lately we don't have him to bring on. We gave Shakiri, I think, maybe five minutes against Newcastle and we gave him roughly half an hour against 
or, or maybe even less against Southampton. Um, but he didn't look as sharpest. Obviously, Thiago didn't look as sharpest because he's still still regaining that. Ox was the same. Um, so it's just kind of, it really does feel like a, a multitude of influencing factors that are kind of influencing Liverpool's current situation. But I feel like if if I had to put the weight on any of them, I, th- I do think I'd probably weigh the lack of performance on the attacking side ab- above a lot of other factors. Um, mm. like, I, like I do think, for example, Liverpool have to start starting games in the right manner, which is a problem that Liverpool have never really encountered under Klopp, but it is something that we're suffering from lately. I think Jordan mm. Henderson mentioned that last night. Just on that point, Josh, it's probably worth flagging now. I was looking into this a little bit earlier. Um, and last season, I'm sorry, yeah, last season, Liverpool conceded the, the opening goal of the game on eight occasions, and two of which come after they won the title, by the way. Um, and they, they won five from those losing positions, won five, drew one, lost two. As I said off the top of my head, I'm pretty sure you know, two of those negative results there uh, came after the title win. But this season, they've already conceded the opening goal on six occasions. So that's basically the same amount that they, they had last season in when they were still kind of competitive, aka before the, the title was shown up. So they've already matched that. Um, they won three, drew one and lost two. But I think the reason why it's so important to point that out is because you know, multiple football studies have, have, have pointed out that the the opening goal of the game tends to lead to victory around 70% of the time, which is, you know, pretty high. And obviously, that I've wrote about this in the uh, Analytics 5 newsletter. It can be impacted by different factors, like team quality, for example. So, you know, that 70% could be lower for Liverpool because they're better side and they normally find a way to come back into the game. Um, but it's it, it's still a really huge goal to concede, isn't it? The first, and I think yesterday that we're recording on Tuesday, so the Monday night game. I think conceding that goal so early on just completely changed the game state for, for Liverpool and completely changed kind of the game plan as well because it was such an early goal to concede. Um, and I think that's why it, it, you know it was made so difficult for them. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel. I mean, I, I had a little look earlier at the, the the number of minutes that Liverpool have been behind for this season. Um, and I think Liverpool so far this season have been behind for roughly 280 minutes. I think it was around that. Um, the whole of last season, I think Liverpool were behind for about 350 so when we're just approaching the halfway mark of the season, and Liverpool have already, you know, they're approaching how long they've been behind for in games uh, compared to last season. So it it does have a massive impact on things, and it's it's one of the reasons why, if someone was to look at the numbers in isolation, you know, expected goals, shots, expected goals against, and all that sort of stuff, Liverpool's numbers in some areas probably look stronger than they did last season. But last season, Liverpool were winning games after an hour and they just kind of stopped playing in a way. This season, Liverpool are just having to go for it. Liverpool are having to keep going for 90 minutes 
keep generating shots, keep, you know, the ball, you know, possession figures and stuff like that. So it looks like Liverpool are, in, in a way, fine, which we will say they might be. Um, I don't want to get carried away too much, but this 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 is what's happened at the minute. Um, and it's uncharacteristic of Liverpool, but I think when it comes to the numbers, selling a different story, I think that's, you know, game state is, is something that massive in that, that you have to consider, really, isn't it? Yeah. I think the other issue Liverpool having is they're clearly not as fluent as they have been in attack. So they're not breaking down opponents sitting in as as comfortably as they was last season. And if if you're giving the opposition something to protect, and sometimes it doesn't even need to be a goal, it just needs to be, you know, still nil-nil. It's still the fact that they haven't conceded. For for a lot of teams, you know, be thinking like a West Brom and Newcastle. Drawing nil nil is a fantastic result against Liverpool. That's so they're happy to protect that from the outset. So unless you're you're getting that first goal and, and forcing them to come out a little bit, so then you can expose spaces when they do, you know, and you're gonna find it really difficult to score at, you know more than one or two goals, which is why I think we're seeing the issues Liverpool have because I think Palace they, obviously Liverpool took the lead and then uh, they could kind of build on it a little bit. But either side of that, you know, you think of Fulham, even Tottenham was was a pretty tight game for long periods. You know, West Brom, Newcastle, the games are being left in in kind of contention for long periods, meaning Liverpool having to play. And last season, we talked a lot about them kind of taking the lead and then almost dropping down a couple of gears and just having the ability to be able to see games out uh, and almost reserve energy. I don't. You remember us talking about that, don't you, Josh? Like reserving energy in these matches, but they haven't been able to do that now, and that's made another reason why they might look so fatigued in an already congested campaign. Yeah, you mentioned you mentioned Fulham there and and games like that. It, it does feel like this season for everyone, not just Liverpool. It feels like the the, the matches are in the balance a lot more so than before. Um, the, the margin between losing and winning feels really, really tight. And as you said, a lot of that comes down to who scores first. Um but it's it, it's something that Liverpool are having to deal with at the minute. And I think when it comes to the side of, of just general luck and being on the right or wrong side of what we call variants, this is probably a period that Liverpool haven't really seen for a while. Um Liverpool generally, according to you know people who have into the numbers, people who are focused on analytics and all that sort of stuff. Liverpool do look like what you probably label as a, a lucky team. Um, when it comes to the shots that Liverpool face, the shots that they face on target, what you'd expect opponents to score, what you'd expect Liverpool to score, just all that sort of stuff. Liverpool do come across as quite a lucky team based on the past two seasons. But this season, a lot less so. And as I've seen quite a few quite a few people, quite a few analysts say that sometimes that kind of just happens, you know, and there's, there's not, you can't really explain it too much beyond football can be a random game and this this type of stuff is normal and you could argue what Liverpool have experienced for the past two seasons is what isn't normal, um, but because we've experienced it, we've kind of got those reversed. Mm, yeah, because you know, I think City very much regressed to some form of mean, didn't they, last year in certain areas, uh, whereas Liverpool just kind of maintained this 
unbelievable kind of standards and overperformance in, in most most departments. Obviously, there is a little bit of regression this year to, to in line. Like it's even bizarre. I think I haven't got the numbers to hand, Josh, but even even seeing Liverpool kind of perform in line with their um, their XG numbers is is quite unique, certainly from an attacking point of view, isn't it? Because they constantly seem to be a side who overperform. Um, so yeah, maybe that is just kind of a little bit of regression in that area and. I don't. Know, I still expect them to overperform in these departments, but yeah, it's uh, it's 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 just a very strange, strange time considering what we've been used to. Yeah, I think it's it's a period that we feel like we have to address because it's extended to the three game mark, which is you know it it doesn't really feel like it's happened. I'm not really sure Liverpool have had three consecutive results like this as bad as that mm. uh, since we've been doing the podcast. To be honest. Um, and after the game, I think one thing that struck me was the interview, particularly that Jordan Henderson did, and to the end of I think of Klopp's, they both just seemed a little bit uh, shocked. I think maybe is the word. They both just seemed a little bit bemused as to why this was happening. And I think mm-hmm. one or two of the answers that Henderson gave, he just kind of said, "I don't know. It's it's not like us." Um, like not starting well and and things like that and yeah it's 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 a strange one but I think as I said I think rather than it being a case of Liverpool need new centre back or Liverpool are suffering from bad luck or Liverpool are getting done by the schedule or you know whatever tiredness whatever it may be I do feel like it's it's, it's an accumulation of of kind of everything um, mm. I mean what what's your stance on the the whole um, the away form shout um, I don't know because you know it's what is it? So it's it's two, only two wins, isn't it, on the road at the moment uh, in nine? <sighs> I, I I I don't know. Honestly, to be honest, even being brutally honest with that, I think it's just maybe going to a different environment because what we're talking about is an accumulation of different things. I think we, you know, if you think about what we spoke about already, you're talking about. Uh, quality of chances have gone down. We've just touched on issues with conceding opening goals. Uh, unsettled sides has been a big issue. Injuries, fatigue. I don't know if you've. I know we were separately looking at some um, pressing numbers from FB ref earlier, but even if you were to look at White Scouts and looking at the PPDA numbers for the league, you know it was it's a, it's around an average of fourteen something this season. And in see last season it was around twelve. Campaign before it was eleven odd, and it was I think it was even as short as ten before that. So I think there's an accumulation of things, and then you're going into, you know, you're going into the home of your opponents. I think that always has that extra psychological uh, edge for the home side, and takes something a little bit away from the away side, even without fans being there. And Although Liverpool have coped so well with that previously, you know, winning most games on the road in other seasons, we've just listed six or seven different things that are all chipping away a little bit of of kind of the, the dominance of this Liverpool side. I think when they're all wearing that, yeah, then little things like being on the road, trying to break teams down in their own backyard does become a little bit more of a difficult task. I mean, it is, it is the type of stat that I would typically... Um, bat off really and think oh it's not it's it's a, it's in the same group group roughly as 
say, for example, when it says like Leeds haven't beat Manchester United in the past thirty meetings, or you know, stats like that, where you just think there's so much more to it than than Leeds having a problem with Manchester United or Liverpool having a problem with playing away from home. It's it it is a little bit weird, but um, it's something that I, I'm not overly concerned about that one, to be honest. Just on the Josh, just really quickly while we're still on the subject, one thing I would say is I think it's an issue that grows the longer it goes on. So, um, say for example, now I do believe it'll be something that's in the forefront of both Klopp and the players' minds in the next away game. I think of like, for example, Everton's record at Anfield over the past 20 years. You know, I, I for those first five or six visits to Anfield, I think... It wouldn't have been something Evan would consider and go. We haven't won here in three years. I'm running in four years. I'm running in five years. But although it's not on that level yet for Liverpool in terms of the way form, I do think a psychological aspect does come into it when you know we haven't won now in in ten years here, eleven years, and 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 it does snowball a little bit. And I do think that hasn't necessarily been the problem for Liverpool in these you know for the early games on the road. But I do think it'll start snowballing unless they, they put it to bed a little bit and start picking up a few victories. They'll be basically I'm saying I think they need to put that one right fairly quickly, or it will become a, a more talk about issue. Yeah, the, the louder the noise gets, the more it'll impact you. You know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah well, I mean, <laughs> good summary. Good that really. I was going to say that's <laughs> one way to summarize where I was going with it. <laughs> um, but one thing I want to address anyway, just before we. I suppose we wrap up. Um, I don't want to get carried away because I, I think this season we said in the last podcast it's it's one of those seasons you do have to remain relatively grounded regardless of whether you win seven nil or whether you get beat one nil. Um, and I think you know I saw the tweet last night and I thought it was very very relevant for the current time. And it was um, it was alongside of it was along the lines of virtually everything that we knew to be true as recently as like a month ago, we are now putting into serious doubt. Like I think a month ago, Liverpool had just scored a late winner against Spurs to beat them 2-1. I think on the same weekend, City drew one old West Brom. Um, obviously, Arteta's had his problems when it comes to being linked with the sack. Lampard's now going through that. Solskjaer went through that early in the season. Now United can go top if they win their game in hand. So, it, it does seem to be one of those seasons whereby, you know, if you're if you're maybe in the 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 fickle mode mold, you'll probably have a tough time because week to week to week it is going to deviate from from the mean, if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think it's important to say one thing I was going to say last night was it's it's absolutely possible that Liverpool face Manchester United in just over a week's time. And absolutely dominate them from start to finish. That that that's fully plausible. Um, and the the landscape will change completely once again. But I do think that the way Liverpool have performed across the past three games did need talking about. I think generally we are quite level-headed on this podcast to the extent that we do just kind of batter off and suggest that it's just a minor blip. But three in a row, and the performances weren't good. I do think they needed talking about, but. Yeah, I think I guess what I'm saying is, you know, we don't want to get carried away, do we? No, that's it. Yeah, it's it's it is a very topsy turvy campaign. You only have to look at the, 
you know, Chelsea being tipped for title contenders now, Lampard's in, in, in serious danger of maybe losing his job. Um, it's, I've said as well, this is a season where dropping points isn't as expensive as it has been in years gone by. And I, you know, I repeat that statement because if Liverpool win the next six, two games, it, it just completely changes everything. And, you know, it, it won't, they won't really be impacted by these dropping. You know, it's still top of the table, for example, and they haven't won the game in, in, in three matches. Um, That's you a good that, point, actually. I mean, yeah. What I was going to say on that was... You know, when Chelsea experienced their dip, obviously they're doing it now. They dropped as low as I think they may be eighth at the minute. Arsenal obviously experienced a, a big dip. I think they were around 15th at one point. Manchester United have been around mid-table. So if this is Liverpool's dip and the lowest that Liverpool can really drop to is third if everyone wins the games in hand, you know, it's it's probably it probably shows that of all the teams in the league suffering from all this randomness and inconsistency, Liverpool have probably been the most consistent of every inconsistent team, as, as weird as that sounds. Mm. Yeah, that yeah, that's it, basically. it's Arsenal, I think, is a really good example because they've looked dead and buried. You know, they've looked... Not dead and buried, that's, that's too extreme of a statement, but they've looked, you know, really a sad struggling, you know, basically bottom half for the bulk of the campaign. They've only won three games back-to-back, and now they're suddenly kind of in touch and distance of Europe again and look like a side will probably be there or thereabouts. It's just that's how quick it changes. So, as you say, they, you know, for any other club, drawing two and losing one wouldn't be a disaster, but it's just the way Liverpool have been, it feels like a catastrophe, doesn't it? Um, but I think it'll mellow out a little bit over the next few weeks. Yeah, I think a bigger problem with that though is the drawing one, sorry, the drawing two and losing one has been against two of the worst sides in the league and Southampton, who had a bit of an injury hit, to be honest. I mean, Oriol Romeo didn't play, uh, Che Adams didn't play, Vestergaard wasn't playing, the keeper got COVID, and Liverpool, and, and alongside that, as I said, the performances, I think that's what's concerning. The, the I'm always performance focused as opposed to results. That's what we do on this podcast. And for me, the performances of Liverpool, Liverpool have played, you know, the past three games, one half good, one half bad in in, in a lot of the time. And you, you can't really do that and expect to to pick up three points every week. Yeah, and I hear you, but you know, it, that would I'd probably revert to the points I was making last week where. For me, in this season of all seasons, I do feel like Liverpool benefit from having that extra competitive edge to the matches, aka playing better teams, knowing that they're going to be on paper a tougher fixture. Talk about last week, but you know, you had a really dominant 3 0 victory against Leicester, and but then and then you had the next home game, a 4 0 victory against a good Wolves side, but sandwiched in between that was a a poor performance and a one-one draw against Brighton, and then you had the of just touched on it. Then the four-nil against Wolves. After that, you had Fulham one-one, another fairly naff display. But then you go and beat Tottenham two-one, um, and it does just kind of feel like it went when you Liverpool face tougher teams, they they have this extra edge, and uh, being normally the better side, it normally means a better performance and a victory. 
But in these sides where it's against teams where you're lacking that maybe the competitive edge, I think they're just struggling to get that same motivation. I mean, they've got next United. You said before you wouldn't be surprised if they, you know, blitzed them start to finish. Neither would I, to be honest. Then Tottenham are coming up again. Uh, but in between that, Burnley at home, and that could, you know, well be the, the tricky fixture. It's uh, it's 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 just the way Liverpool seems to be at the moment. Also, I didn't realise that Liverpool Tottenham was again so soon. You got Manchester United, Manchester United, Burnley, and then Tottenham. No, I didn't. To be honest, it's funny actually though because Liverpool's Liverpool's drop seems to have coincided with. Well, it seems to have happened directly after beating Palace seven nil at an absolute cancer towards the end, mm. and then the next match after we beat Palace seven nil was West Brom, and I said on the last podcast that first forty five minutes was the least competitive forty five minute period I think I've ever seen. Um, so you know when you, if you're a Liverpool player and you, you've just won seven nil, and the next game you're trying to turn up, and the first forty five minutes the opposing team aren't even trying. You know, that's a period there of around 140 minutes whereby you're playing against supposed competitors and it's just, it's so easy. Mm. And since then, Liverpool do seem to have dropped a fair few points, taking the foot off the gas. Um, Maybe it's to make it interesting for themselves, I don't know, but they're making a bit bit of a stretch of it now, to be honest. Um, Mm. But yeah, I mean, we're not going to look ahead to, to Villa because we don't tend to preview or look ahead to domestic cup games on this podcast because Jürgen Klopp doesn't seem interested in them. Mm. Um, we're not going to look ahead to United yet either because we, we we will have a podcast before that, before that match comes around, I think. So, yeah, we'll look at that next week. But this was just a podcast on Liverpool's current form at the minute, what's happening, um, getting to the bottom of it, really. But it's a difficult one to get to the bottom of. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we've covered generally the majority of the bases there, Dave. Yeah, yeah, I think so. It's a, it's a, it's a multifaceted issue at the moment, but probably not one that'll last the pool fans hope anyway. Yeah, I, I feel the need to, to kind of again say, get used to it almost at least for this season because I think it will continue to happen, and I think the champions will have. At most, 85 points for me. Mm. Um, but we'll see what happens anyway. Hopefully, Liverpool get back to winning ways against Aston Villa. And then we can look ahead to a top-of-the-table clash between Liverpool and Manchester United, which I haven't been able to say since this podcast <laughs> started a while yeah. off. Uh, but yeah, thanks for joining us, Dave. Cheers, mate. Cheers, everyone. And we will be back next week. See you later. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.